Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. At other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next six to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at portablechurch.com. Hey, Church Planner, welcome to Hardcore Church Planting. I am super excited to uh, to to have this round because I have been taking this podcast uh, a little bit away from it being about um, a guy who has a book or you know a big name. And it's funny because we didn't intend to start it out that way. We just intended this to be an interview that church planners would get benefit from, which I think we've always done. I don't think we've had a dud yet on this show, but I actually get to interview a guy who I think has become one of my favorite church planners. I know you're not supposed to have favorite church planners, but I just, I've been traveling with this guy for a little bit. Can't take much credit or responsibility really probably for anything that he's ever done, but just love watching him. And his name is Anton Farrow. And he is up north. He started off in San Diego. I got to know him uh, through a mutual friend of ours, Manny Sanchez, who was working with him. And uh, Anton was a guy that early on, I just saw God's hand on him. And I knew he was going to tear it up. He was already blooming where he was planted in San Diego, making disciples. He had an apostolic gifting on him. And we just, I don't know, man, like I said, I've just been watching. I haven't really been doing anything in his life, but it is my privilege to introduce Anton to you. And we're going to pick his brain and hear about the blood, sweat, and tears of his church plant called The Commonplace up in Portland, Oregon. Hey, welcome to the show, Anton. What's up, my man? Good to have you. And uh, hey, so uh, tell us a little bit. We like to do this every time, like talk about how you came to faith. And then after that, I want to hear about how you got involved in this crazy little thing called church planning. Yeah, so I was uh, I was a did not grow up in church. So I don't know if that's the story of most church planners. 
you probably know better than me, but I did had no faith growing up. I grew up north of Seattle near a place called Bellingham. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so unchurched when I was 18 in high school. I don't even remember. Um, it, I don't even remember a Christian, to be honest. Like there was no church groups at my high school. Um, I always have a, I always have a saying, if somebody asked me who Jesus was when I was 18, I would have been like a bunny. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like I had no concept of who Jesus was. Mm. Um, what's funny is I went to New York city after that. I was a performer for a long time. So I went to school for, uh, dance. Um, I, you know, I was traveling, doing, uh, different shows. And the funniest thing is when I was 18, the first show I booked was a show called the miracle in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So I played Thomas in a passion show for a year. Wow. I I did nine shows a week as Thomas, and I still had no idea um, who Jesus was. The funny thing is they actually made a new rule after that first year of the show that they had to hire Christians uh, because I was such an issue uh, for their show because I was the guy going out partying and they're like, uh, I don't think that's helpful for our Jesus play. Yeah, so, <laughs> dude, that's so funny. But anyway. Hey, man, kept- we're trying to reach people with Jesus here. Will you stop getting in the way? <laughs> dude. And uh, the funny thing is, though, I knew I look back now and God obviously was chasing me down because I kept doing shows, kept running into Christians. Um, man, I saw bad examples of Christians where I was like, I want nothing to do with this. Um, but I met some authentic ones and, you know, some guys stayed my friends. I, and I think I'm always a big believer in like friendship because I mean, the reason I'm here today is because a couple guys like stayed my friends for years. And eventually I was like, Hey man, yeah, I'll, I'll go to church with you or I'll have dinner with you. We can talk about Jesus. And I don't remember like, a, I didn't have a crazy experience, but I was in New York city and um, just got, super fired up. I don't even remember really how it just was kind of a slow burn. Then the next thing, you know, I was just, I was all in. Um, and so how I ended up in church planning, which is so, again, so crazy, I think, cause like you said about, I've always kind of been a pioneer, a go-getter. Obviously I went to New York city when I was 18, um, was right when I started walking with the Lord and I'm going to a church, I'm like, I think maybe I could do this better. I mean, how immature is that? But that's just the way I thought. And uh, yeah, so stupid. But uh, basically, obviously, because I was a singer, I mean, the classic Western evangelical church, it's like, oh, you can sing? Oh, you, you should come on leadership here at this church. So I was on leadership at churches and singing way before I ever should have. Uh, but that's just the way it goes, right? And uh, so just started getting into leadership. I met my wife in, in New York. We moved to San Diego because that's where she was from. We thought we were supposed to get out of New York City. And long story short, I mean, I grinded through the first couple of years of marriage, worked a couple of hard jobs, uh, which was hard for a performer that was used to working three hours a day. Uh, that's kind of the embarrassing truth of my 20s. Um, I'm 31 now, but basically around 26, uh, Manny Sanchez snatched me up. I was singing at a big church and he was like, heard about you. I know you have no experience in anything like this, but I feel like you need to plant this church with me. Planted a church with Manny in downtown San Diego called Catalyst. Um, and he was all, he always said, man, you're supposed to leave here and go plant somewhere else. And over those two years, 
he let me run free. I mean, I got to give him so much credit because he let me figure it out on my own. Manny, I don't know if- Manny is a, is an empowering leader. You know, it's funny because what a lot of people won't know is that Manny is David Jeremiah's son-in-law. Yes. Right? And, yep. and he is the only church plant I know in the Southern Baptist family that's thriving in downtown San Diego. Um, and he's right in the heart and here he has Anton and Anton is like a dynamo. He's, he, he should be tempted to keep him. And yet Manny stayed true that we're sending him out. And I remember when, uh, we were picking Manny for a guy that we wanted to train church planners in future. Um, Manny was, I remember him saying thing is, man, is like, I'm, I'm sending out, I think it was like 40 of his best people, he said, you know, that um, are going to be going up north, which, again, also speaks, Anton, to your apostolic gifting that you were able through the spirit to inspire 40 people to leave San Diego and go up to Portland. That is part of the apostolic gifting as well. And that that awesome. Both of you guys impressed me on this whole thing. It was beautiful to watch. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, so what ended up happening is, I mean, the amount of people that left San Diego, it actually ended up being um, the people that actually left everything and moved with us, like dropped everything was 16, 16 of us moved up. And that was uh, what's funny, dude, is that we're meeting. It's the 27th. Yeah, we moved up here last year on the 28th of July. So we've been here for a year tomorrow. Happy birthday. And, uh, yeah, man. And I think uh, the, the guy interviewed right before you, he was yes. a missionary in Southeast Asia. Um, it actually is his birthday today. But it's your church's birthday tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, man. And so now we're here. Um, yeah, I don't know. But that's that's kind of the story of how we got here. So how did you know that you were called to plant the commonplace? What, how did that start? And how did you know you were supposed to go to Portland? Yeah. Simple story on that was we had no idea where we wanted to plant. We just knew we were supposed to. And we kind of embraced the call um, that, you know, my mentors always said is if you make disciples, you're going to get a church. And so we started making disciples, which is another story. But um, we were on a road trip, me and my wife, and we went through Portland and I literally had this overwhelming feeling we were supposed to plant here. It's, it's ironic. It's kind of where I used to grow up in the Pacific Northwest. And Portland's changed a lot. And we were leaving town. And I looked over at Courtney and I said, you're not going to believe what I felt today. And then she looked at me and she said, what, that we're supposed to plant a church here? And the second she had that feeling match up with mine, I mean, we were like, so we just pursued it. We, we visited here for about 16 months before we even moved. Um, and we settled on us in a neighborhood. There's like 95 neighborhoods in Portland. So it's very neighborhood centric. And we settled on a poor neighborhood in North Portland, which is so ironic because I thought we were going to be downtown Portland. We're in North Portland, man. It's not the sexiest part of town, but it's very clear. That's this is where God wanted us to be. Mm. What have been some of the adjustments that you've had to make going into a neighborhood like you're in? Well, it's old, meaning like most people that have lived here have been here for 40 years uh, or longer, um, but it's changing rapidly. Um, so, the, I mean, the biggest change, man, I think is more internally in that we're really trying to do 
uh, heart, I guess, hardcore, because that's your word. I'm going to use it. Uh, you know, we've had 13 people living with us when we first moved up uh, because we wanted everybody to live pretty much within walking distance. We really wanted to be like for the neighborhood, for this area, live, eat, work, play all in one neighborhood. And uh, now we have 10 people living with us still. And uh, so the big adjustment, man, is just like, I don't know. Dude, if I could be really real, I think the biggest thing I've learned about all this is the real ministry is at home, you know, and the real ministry is, is being on being seen all the time. You know, it's just that I, you know, I keep reading all this stuff about Paul talking about imitating what he's done or what his disciples have done. And you're just I don't know, that feels more real than it's ever felt. You know what I mean? I had people living with me when I planted my first church and I, they lived with me for nine months. Um, and you know, our bedrooms were filled and we had no kids and we lived in a six bedroom house. So, uh, wow. I, I know your, I know your pain. And, and then like sometimes they're like, Oh yeah, my family's in town. So they stay with you too. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. It, oh yeah. I, I get it, man. Toilet paper is flying off the spool, you know, <laughs> the toothpaste is all over the place. I mean, you know, it, it's, <laughs> you, you become know, so much more than a leader. You become a parent and no, uh, you're a spiritual parent, man. And yeah. I think the crazy thing though, here's the crazy thing is as hard as it is, um, we've been able to actually break through here in Portland because I have an extended family. I, I constantly meet church planners right now. And I, the biggest thing I find out is that they're up here alone. And if there's any city to not go to alone, it would be Portland. This is like super lonely, Bill. And the fact that we kind of, I guess, roll deep, um, dude, it makes a huge, it makes a huge difference. Like, and because the culture has been like, let's live close. Now um, there's a guy's house, four houses down from us. So five guys live down the street, you know, and it's, you know, so there's 15 of us on one street. It makes a huge difference, That's you know, yeah, it's it's really cool. That's cool. You know, um, it, it's really interesting because that whole idea of the real ministries at home, that's really powerful and being seen all the time. That's that's really uh, that's really powerful as well. Um, yeah. If uh, if you were to go back and change anything. Um, what would you change? I guess. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Sorry about the hesitation. My my brain's going two ways at once, but we'll yes. pull the other back in. Yeah. What would I change? Um, not, well, not necessarily about that, but about everything. Yeah. yeah. I well, let me put it this way. I think if there's anything that I would say that has been, um, like. If there's anything I could say that I would do no matter what, if I was ever to plant a church again, and this is, again, this is my whole, this is my whole shtick. Like if I had a thing that I tell people about in the future, um, it would be about starting an economic engine. Mm. So I don't know if people know this, but we started a CrossFit gym when we moved up here. Um, and it came from being in Israel and I, and I saw that every first century uh, house church had an economic engine, you know, and I'm like, what the heck? Like, why do none of us have businesses that help our 
our ministries thrive and why, you know, just why aren't more it's called the Bible, Bible inner circle, bibleinnercircle.com. Yes. And so here's what's crazy though, is we've met more people by the gym I started. And what's crazy is now that we're a year in, we just outgrew my garage. Uh, we got kicked out of my garage. The city shut us down. Uh, then we were mobile. Um, we still kept gaining members. And now we just got a building about a mile from my house, which is where we're going to have a full commercial gym and hold services there on Sundays. And it's all, it's all going like really well. It's growing. It's nuts. Um, but what I, what I found from it and why I don't think I'll ever be able to go back is almost everybody that comes to church with us is from our gym. That's right. And, and so we've just seen like this, it's, it's just a place for people to meet people on a neutral ground. Yep. That's something you both love that you could do side by side. And man, I'm just sold out. I'll never plan a church a different way again. Que- I just question. Want- does your church meet in the gym? Yes. Yes. So good. And it's so that's the thing is now we don't pay rent because the gym pays rent. And so the church is getting freed up and the gym is going to pay my salary. So now the church doesn't have to pay a salary. And so that's kind of been our weird thing, too, is that we've been trying to get we've been trying to stay as lightweight as possible so we could be extremely generous. Um, just because I, and I think it, when we were talking about millennials earlier, Peyton, they just want you to put your money where your mouth is. Oh, we're generous. We're Christians. Well, then do it. Like, yeah. show me. Like, yeah. that's all they want, you know? And so we've had some breakthrough there. It's really good, man. And, you know, it's so funny that you say this because this is one of my passions. I was Bivo the entire time that I was overseas. I was there 12 years. First year I was not the, so I say entire time. Well, I was 10 years. My final year I was not because I set myself aside to reproduce um, church planners and, and church plants. And I need to be full time to do that. But other than that, 10 years I worked with my hands like Paul and I really saw the same thing. I could go anywhere. I could yes. do anything. And so right now I've, you know, my co-host on the other podcast, a guy named Pete Mitchell, we, um, we actually started something called the Bible inner circle where we're Love. trying to get guys, you know, that my, um, my passion is first century style church planning. And right now my message to people has been, this is the most first century thing you can do is go and get a business like Paul, who not only could go anywhere, he's versatile. He's never poor when he was working with his hands. Yep. Um, he was able to do this and support his team. You know, when he talks about being That's... hungry and he was a prisoner. And so, yeah. you know, but yes. when he was out, man, he had a way to make money. So, I am 100% there. Let me ask you this. How hard was it to start a business? How steep of a learning curve were you on with that? Uh, yeah, it's no no joke. Uh, I give all the credit to my wife. She does all the bookkeeping. All I mean, we work as a team. And again, since we try to embrace the Oikos first century style you know, thing, like a lot of people are helping. A lot of people are on board. Um, it's hard, man. But I, I'm just – if we're about – getting out and meeting people. It, I mean, we just got to stop fooling ourselves and thinking that's going to happen in our study. Yeah. Um, like You're we've preaching met my book now. You're preaching my book. Oh, Go boy. Oh. Yeah. bro. <laughs> and the thing is, and the thing is 
we everybody knows us in town. Everybody. I mean, you go around. It's either oh, I've heard of Commonplace or I've heard of Blue House Cross CrossFit Blue House, and it's and it's because of you're starting a new business in a in a neighborhood. I mean, everybody's going to hear about it. You know what I mean? Like we're in the ads. Um, you know, we're known at the big high school down the street, and so I think it's hard. Uh, but I think, again, I think if I said anything to any church planner, I'd be like, don't start a business that you think is strategic. Start a business that you actually like because mm-hmm. you're going to be doing it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so when people ask me about CrossFit, I'm like, uh, yeah, it works because it's communal, but I do it because I like it. Like I would do it for free. I would right. do it. I would do it every day. Like you don't even have to tell me to go do it. I love it. And so – I don't know. Dude, that's my big thing too with ministry is like, dude, we're doing everything that we love. That's normal for us that we do every day. And I wish planters understood if you're going to go do this for the long haul, man, you better be passionate about it. Yeah. Better be strategic. It's got to be passionate, you know? And so anyway, that's good, man. So work, family, um, ministry, it's all stuff you love. It's stuff you'd be doing anyways. Yes, it's not stuff perfectly. you feel like you have to do, and there's a there's a flow and a quality of life that, as you said, watch my life and doctrine. My life is not this. Um, you know, you know that for me, you know, I, my view is that there's apostolic people, prophetic leaders, evangelists, and they're not supposed to be working alone. They're all supposed to be blended together, working together. And yeah. what'll often happen is you'll have a guy who starts a church and he's an evangelist. And the interesting thing about the evangelist is when he gets in control of a church, he becomes a slave driver. He has no shepherding skills. It's all about the loss, the loss. We got to reach a loss, which is fantastic because an apostolic guy gets that too. Except yes. the apostolic is more about empowering them. The evangelist is more about uh, and sending the people out into the community. The evangelist is more about getting people in. So yes. suddenly if the evangelist is left alone, he becomes this builder of this big thing, driving people like a slave driver until they're all burnt out. Meanwhile, it's all these broken bones and blood that the whole temple's been built on, and it yeah. grows and it looks good from a distance. When you get up close to it, nobody's having fun. Yes. <laughs> nobody's yeah. enjoying this, and nobody lasts there. And a new wave of people comes in, and they join the band, and then they're the new slaves for a while. And that's why you should, again, nobody should ever be left alone. You should never leave me as an apostolic leader alone with the congregation either, because we'll end up meeting on a corner gas station somewhere out in the opener. Like, you know, kids will be unsafe, you know. So there's that blend. But I love that you bring this to it, that it needs to be something that you enjoy. So when people walk in, they're like, how have I gone all my life and never had this? Both Christians and unchristians, I would imagine, Walking yeah, into so the commonplace, expressing yeah. that. Yeah, and I think because of the business too, there's just a lot of blend of a lot of people that don't know the Lord. They are just around, and and I think another thing we've I, when you talk about things, maybe I would change or would definitely do. So I think a, a mistake I've seen a lot of guys make lately is trying to kind of like be undercover Christians, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we just said that's really weird, and we everybody respects people that are open and passionate about what they love. And so we've kind of been rolling around like kind of the easy way for us where people 
ask about our faith is usually guys will come over, work out, and they'll be like, yo, there's a lot of people around. Like, what's up? Why is there so many people in your house? It's like, oh, dude, we like love Jesus. And so we all moved up here together to start a church and a gym. And dude, nobody freaks out. If I'm super honest about it, they're like, okay, cool. And obviously, this is a safe place to explore that. And so it's definitely, it's definitely messy in that way, man. Like, you know, and I think it should be where we kind of have people checking it out, but we got a lot of those strong disciples around and it's just a place where, you know, we can talk, you know, we can dinner kind of embracing dinner too, is like the ultimate place to see people experience something different. So dude, we're all about dinner. We eat a lot of food with people. How big is your house, man? Because uh, ten people living in your house how how big of a space and what's what's dinner look like for you guys? Yeah, we have a giant table. It's like almost ten feet, and so uh, everybody has a dinner night in the house. You know, it's like in groups of two, and when it's your dinner night, you have to cook and you have to clean everything, and we just invite people to join us. Dry and put away. Oh, you got to do everything. Oh, man, your wife is a smart lady. I'm just saying, no wonder she's the business mind in this because <laughs> yes. we would have never figured that out, right? Oh, bro, no. No, and I got to give cred to the Breens, man. I know I don't know if you guys have talked about the Breens yeah. much on yeah, the podcast. Yeah. Sally Breen obviously has helped us structure this house a lot. And and uh, she's like, you better have people cooking dinner. I'm That's like, okay. Rad. Okay, and so a veteran, this is good because – um, you actually, by the way, Anton is a guy responsible for, uh, he's the way that Mike Breen, um, cause he personally discipled you. Mike Breen endorsed my book, Reaching the Unreach. And I owe thanks to you for that, Anton. So, yep. oh. um, I appreciate that. What, what influence, uh, Mike Breen from 3DM, um, you know, what, what's been the impact and influence of the Breen's ministry on you? Dude, I'm leading with him like later today now he's you know obviously mike's as apostolic as it gets and so you know i've he's discipled me and now he's like all right now you're gonna disciple people with me and so yeah i'm extremely uncomfortable all the time and that's how mike likes it just pushing you beyond your limits um but yeah man the biggest influence he's had on me is what we were just talking about peyton is that everything he teaches he's already lived and I mean, he's not tight talking hypothetical. He's mm-hmm. constantly talking from experience and that's extremely like powerful, man. Sometimes I wonder if power, you know, the power on high comes from people sharing what they have already lived. Yep. Like that's where the power comes from. And, and just with Mike, it's just oozing out of him. You know, I think it needs to be because if I read a book that's theory and it's and this was hard for me on my last book writing about what I did, because I don't like talking about what I did. But I had a guy bump into me, um, the guy from Cook from my first book who found, you know, read the manager. He's the same guy with Francis Chan. He just said, hey, you have stories, man. I know you and you're not telling your stories and you need to talk about this. And after being a serial church planner, man, I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to do that. And then I'll probably shut up after that, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and not do it. But you're right. I think an authenticity comes. I think also an authority comes yes. through. 
that, um, you know, it says when Jesus spoke, he spoke as an authority, not as the, the Pharisees and scribes. They were not authorities. They were yes. theorizers and theorizers don't get to have authority. And as, yeah, and Come as on. you look at Jesus, you know, he was the real deal. And of course, Paul in, in uh, Romans 15 comes in and says, for I will not, uh, boast of anything except what the Lord has done through me. Come on. And, and, and I've told people a lot that, that, they probably wouldn't like Paul because Paul talked like that. He says, I'll boast through what the Lord did through me so that from Jerusalem to Ehrlichum, I have completed the the ministry that God is. I have fulfilled the ministry God gave me. He basically says from Jerusalem to Ehrlichum, done. He goes, now I'm going to Spain because I got nowhere left. Right. Yes. Like that's, yes. that's smack talk right there. And so Dude. I tell people you wouldn't like Paul because if anyone else came up here, to this podium or pulpit or whatever and talk like that, you'd be mad. Except you might be mad because Paul's done things and can say that and you can't. Yes. You know dude. Dude. And I just, we just been trying to build a culture. I, we, uh, uh, preach at a, every Thursday night at a rehab center. They, it's kind of just been, they've been people of peace to us. They've introduced us to a lot of people, but what I've done is I've used it as a training ground. Um, I rarely speak there and we're there every week. And so we have to lead worship and speak. And, and so just been having all of our leaders, um, have a go, you know, every week preaching and leading and my challenge to them, cause I think it's how I learned first. It's how Mike brain challenged me, um, was like, don't, don't, uh, don't prepare a professional sermon. I want you to first learn how to speak from your own life. Mm-hmm. And just share. I mean, literally just share what God told you this morning. And dude, people freak out because nobody teaches us to do that. Um, nobody challenges us to do that. And so we've been doing that and people have just been having breakthrough. The challenge oh, in it is if you, don't, if you don't spend time with the Lord, then you're not going to have anything to say. But if you do, I think you'll surprise yourself. You know, and no so joke, man. And I love the fact that you've given people opportunity yeah. Just to share, because there is a difference between preaching and sharing. Yes. Um, my my mentor was a guy from Lloyd-Jones' church, discipled by Lloyd-Jones. And I remember him getting, first time I ever heard him, and there was an authority and a power of the Holy Spirit in that dude when he preached. Hey. But they said to him, they go, and now Peter will share. And he got up there and said, I just want to say to you, I, I'm not going to share. I'm going to preach. That's the difference. And I love the fact that you are switching that around and telling people, I'm not asking you to preach. I'm asking you to share. Yes. That is powerful, man. That is going to be enabling and equipping to every single person in your church. Yes. Wow, yeah. man. That's rad. Yeah. I love that. So um, real quick, and then we got to let you go because I'm going over here with you and I need to go under. <laughs> so <laughs> here's the deal. Um Real quick, because you and I, uh, I want to give a shout out to Tim Almeida, who, uh, you know, is just someone I was introduced to by you, who's there at your church plant. And he's a man of many talents. We're joking about the millennials, how that, uh, you know, I, I was saying as a grumpy old man, I used to not like the millennials, kind of like Paul when he didn't like Mark, uh, John Mark when he left. Yes. And then he realized, you know, second missionary journey, I actually could really use these young people. And I'm feeling that way about millennials. I'm actually... I'm finding this. I work like you. I work with a lot of millennials now on my side projects, the film projects, all surrounded by millennials because they're the guys that can do stuff. 
Yes. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what it's been like. Cause you're, you're working almost exclusively with millennials and I mean, you're a young dude yourself, right? So, I mean, tell me a little bit about, you know, what it's like, just the discipleship process, what you do and how that's going. Yeah. So I definitely have learned from Mike Green. He obviously has a lot of language and tools and we use all that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, pretty much uh, we try to embrace the the high invitation, high challenge culture. So um, a lot of the everybody that lives with us, we disciple. Obviously, that's a no brainer. If you live in my house, um, we're going to, you know, and we kind of embrace the pendulum between organized and organic. So I think a lot of stuff happens organically. Um, but we do once a week have an hour. We call it a huddle where we do some more intentional Intentional stuff. And I think if there's anything I could say about um, millennials is they are extremely competent and they pick up things really fast, um, but the character's low. And so I feel like a lot of the time I'm doing the nitty gritty, nasty work of just calling people out. And I think what the Lord's been teaching me lately, Peyton, is that follow through is probably the greatest quality. Um that I've seen people. And so a lot of times I feel like I'm just teaching millennials how to follow through. Um, kind of a picture I've had lately is teaching millennials how to have grandpa's character. Um, you know, and so it's like, Hey, what if we were the millennials that have great ideas, but actually work harder than everybody and stick with it longer than everybody, you know, kind of have perseverance again. Um, because I think if perseverance and the talent of millennials collide, I think we'll have some pretty uh, special things happen. I agree, man. And every yeah. generation's got that weird thing, you know. I, I, in our generation, we were the generation of dirt bags, you know. When, when, when we came on the scene, you know, we forget this. Like it was red hot chili peppers and you know all that kind of stuff. It was we were weird, man. It was like you know late eighties, early nineties, and Nirvana and all that. That was our generation. Yeah. Mine, mine, not our as in you and me. I, I wish I could, I could claim our generation, but I can't. But, but that was my generation and, and people didn't know what to do with us. And I, I think it's a practical joke that God plays on every generation is, yeah, you forgot what the generation before you thought of you. And yes. yet I use these new generations. It's what I do. It's like Jesus just, God could always just go, it's what I do. I use young people. You know, I shock every generation before them that forgets that this is meant to be a radical movement. And uh, I'm meant to use busted, broken people. But, man, uh, Anton, always, always, always a pleasure. I've enjoyed every minute I've ever spent with you in, in all actuality. And, um, you know, this has been fantastic. Thank you for coming on here. If people want to get in touch uh, with you or, you know, peek over your shoulder, see what you're doing, where can they do that? Yeah, I mean, you could go on the website, the Commonplace PDX, um, or you could just follow us on Instagram. We're definitely trying to build that. I think that's an easiest way to follow the Commonplace PDX on Instagram. We've uh, been really diligent because we have millennials, right? So that's why we keep the Instagram going. But that's it. You can definitely see what we're doing from from those two. Good stuff, Thanks. man. Good stuff. Well, look, um, we have a question at the end of every show, and uh, – we, we like to, to change up the challengers, but uh, uh, since you started off in show business, I want to ask you, 
this is the first time for us. Um, if you were to get in a physical fist fight with Kirk Cameron, who would win? <laughs> Dude, I would destroy him, bro. I'm a CrossFitter, bro. I, I am. Uh... <laughs> I would win. Oh, yeah, you would. <laughs> I just wanted to see it happen. Is that yeah. wrong? <laughs> no, that's not wrong, bro. I'm going to bring physical fitness back into the pastoral role because that is hurting too. Sorry, that's another rant. That's another rant. Absolutely. Well, hey, we we uh, we could definitely hear you out on that as well. So, brother, <laughs> thank you, and we appreciate your ministry. Appreciate what you're doing. I know the podcasters are going to. I mean, the uh, the listeners of the podcast are going to hit me up and say, "Have that dude back." So. Uh, be cooking up some more stuff. Uh, we could Great. we could have gone a million directions, but uh, hey, thanks, man. Appreciate having you on here. Much love. Thanks, Peyton. Well, this has been Hardcore Church Planning. Thanks for joining us today. And our guest today has been Anton Farrow from the Con- Commonplace up in Portland, Oregon. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.